This is section 31 of Mark Twain, a biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Volume 1, Part 1, 1835 to 1866. Chapter 31 Over the Hills and Far Away. When Madame Caprell prophesied that Orion Clemens would hold office under government, she must have seen with true clairvoyant vision. The inauguration of Abraham Lincoln brought Edward Bates into his cabinet, and Bates was Orion's friend. Orion applied for something and got it. James W. Nye had been appointed territorial governor of Nevada, and Orion was made territorial secretary. He could strain a point and refer to the office as Secretary of State, which was an imposing title. Furthermore, the secretary would be acting governor in the governor's absence and there would be various subsidiary honors. When Lieutenant Clemens arrived in Keokuk, Orion was in the first flush of his triumph, and needed only money to carry him to the scene of new endeavor. The late lieutenant, C.S.A., had accumulated money out of his pilot salary, and there was no comfortable place just then in the active Middle West for an officer of either army who had voluntarily retired from the service he agreed that if orion would overlook his recent brief defection from the union and appoint him now as his orion's secretary he would supply the funds for both overland passages and they would start with no unnecessary delay for a country so new that all human beings regardless of previous affiliations and convictions were flung into the common fusing pot and recast in the general mold of pioneer the offer was a boon to Orion. He was always eager to forgive, and the money was vitally necessary. In the briefest possible time he had packed his belongings, which included a large unabridged dictionary, and the brothers were on their way to St. Louis for final leave-taking before setting out for the great mysterious land of promise, the Pacific West. From St. Louis they took the boat for St. Joe, whence the overland stage started, and for six days plodded up the shallow, muddy, snaggy Missouri, a new experience for the pilot of the Father of Waters. In fact, the boat might almost as well have gone to St. Joe by land, for she was walking most of the time anyhow, climbing over reefs and clambering over snags patiently and laboriously all day long. The captain said she was a bully boat, and all she wanted was some shear and a bigger wheel. I thought she wanted a pair of stilts, but I had the deep sagacity not to say so. Roughing it. At St. Joe they paid one hundred and fifty dollars apiece for their stage fare, with something extra for the dictionary, and on the 26th of July, 1861, set out on that long, delightful trip behind sixteen galloping horses or mules, never stopping except for meals or to change teams, heading steadily into the sunset, following it from horizon to horizon over the billowy plains, across the snow-clad Rockies, covering the seventeen hundred miles between St. Joe and Carson City, including a two-day halt in Salt Lake City, in nineteen glorious days. What an inspiration in such a trip! In Roughing It he tells it all, and says, 
even at this day it thrills me through and through to think of the life the gladness and the wild sense of freedom that used to make the blood dance in my face on those fine overland mornings the nights with the uneven mail-bags for a bed and the bounding dictionary for company were less exhilarating but then youth does not mind all things being now ready stowed the uneasy dictionary where it would lie as quiet as possible and placed the water canteen and pistols where we could find them in the dark then we smoked a final pipe and swapped a final yarn after which we put the pipes tobacco and bag of coin in snug holes and caves among the mail-bags and made the place as dark as the inside of a cow as the conductor phrased it in his picturesque way it was certainly as dark as any place could be nothing was even dimly visible in it and finally we rolled ourselves up like silkworms each person in his own blanket and sank peacefully to sleep youth loves that sort of thing despite its inconvenience and sometimes the clatter of the pony rider swept by in the night carrying letters at five dollars apiece and making the overland trip in eight days just a quick beat of hoofs in the distance a dash and a hail from the darkness the beat of hoofs again then only the rumble of the stage and the even swinging gallop of the mules sometimes they got a glimpse of the pony rider by day a flash as it were as he sped by and every morning brought new scenery new phases of frontier life including at last what was to them the strangest phase of all mormonism they spent two wonderful days at salt lake city that mysterious and remote capital of the great american monarchy who still flaunts her lawless orthodox creed the religion of david and solomon and thrives an obliging official made it his business to show them the city and the life there the result of which would be those amusing chapters in roughing it by and by the overland travelers set out refreshed from salt lake city and with a new supply of delicacies ham eggs and tobacco things that make such a trip worth while the author of roughing it assures us of this nothing helps scenery like ham and eggs ham and eggs and after these a pipe an old rank delicious pipe ham and eggs and scenery a downgrade a flying coach a fragrant pipe and a contented heart these make happiness it is what all the ages have struggled for but one must read all the story of that long-ago trip it was a trip so well worth taking so well worth recording so well worth reading and rereading today. we can only read of it now the overland stage long ago made its last trip and will not start any more even if it did the life and conditions the very scenery itself would not be the same end of chapter thirty one over the hills and far away read by john greenman